0: We're live on the Local Legends podcast and Max Lyles, episode eight. What's up, my man?
1: Number eight. Starts at zero. <laughs> How are things? Everything's good, man. I'm, uh, I'm super stoked to be here. The Glockner building is a wonderful backdrop. This mm. is beautiful in the most beautiful city on the face of the earth. No I know doubt. you and I both share that. Yeah, come back city. That man. sentiment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, yeah, tell us what you've been doing at, at TCC. Uh, so we're busy as usual. We've got, we've got a bunch of, a bunch of different initiatives going on right now. Um, most recently, probably the coolest things we've been doing is we, we had our second annual fundraiser, the Cold War Games. Mm. We got to have some folks in from the, from the local community, local CrossFit community and just surrounding kind of fitness community come in and, and see our spaces. Um, and then that came on the back end of some gnarly um, national news coverage, man. So yeah. NBC News, Boston Globe, Fox and Friends, all those uh, national national news outlets have come in and, and seen the gym and met our people. And then the the fundraiser came in on the back end of that. So, um, But there's a lot going on. The, the Health and Wellness Center is just one piece of it all, but that's... That's where my heart's at, I guess. Yeah,
0: no doubt, man. And the Hawk it launched, it's been over a year now.
1: Yeah, so in in July of 2018, I, I'd i finished a grad degree program at Ohio University. Go Bobcats. Mm. Um, I had uh, I'd finished that up and then was, was looking to come back to Portsmouth. And so I started to talk to Andy Albrecht, CEO at TCC, and um, basically hey he had this idea of they they wanted a little rec center for internal purposes TCC affiliation clients and staff only mm. and other than that had no idea as as to what that was space was going to be like so in in July 2018 I came back to the counseling center and we can get the back to what was in between the kind of mm-hmm. things if you want um. And so then I basically sat in that building alone for about three months.
0: Yeah, I man, you were telling me, or you posted the other day a story about the the lack of attendance. Once. Yes, was yeah, and that,
1: was, and that was honestly after we had started trying. Yeah. So like the first three months I was back working with the counseling center, I had an office over there mm. and was literally sitting over there in that building by myself, like planning as to like what it would be like when we get people in the building. Yeah. Like, the construction wasn't done on the building yet. Uh, We weren't approved to do, like, outpatient services, which was kind of like what we were looking to do as far as, like, a treatment. Yeah. Treatment, like, what it would look like there. Um, And so, it was just a ton of sitting around and planning and an opportunity to start to try to develop what what that space was going to look like. Mm. and who was going to be involved. So that's when we started reaching out to um, Dale and PSKC about, about getting them in to run the gym. Started to reach out to Shawnee State University. Um, they, have, they have nursing students that come in and do practicum hours there, occupational therapy. So we, we, started, to, we started to reach out to some of those like community partners. Yeah. And those first three months was essentially like that place was only an idea factory where nothing real happened. And that was it. <laughs> and it was the funnest three months because I'm just at work with no actual real metric of responsibility or like what needed done. And then you get in that, like that boredom of like, man, I I wish I could do some of these ideas live. Right. And I remember Andy telling me like, just enjoy this time. Because one day, one day you're gonna wish you could like sit in the building empty again. You sure, know I mean? sure, man. Yeah. So how
0: do you start building the value of that for people and let them know? Uh, I mean, it's become a crucial part of the TCC's like sure. programming now. Right? Oh my it's, gosh, it's physical fitness. Yeah. So how do you how do you describe that to people like that? It's gonna bring a lot more to their lives than just uh, muscle.
1: I think I think historically what treatment has looked like and what and what it's been is folks have relied on heavy front end treatment for like residential type settings for like 30, 60, 90 days. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they were going to kind of jump off that cliff back into life and try to survive it. Right. Yeah. So one of the things we've done is just looking at increasing the amount of time that we can engage people in treatment, which has its difficulties now um, based on the uh, behavioral health redesign in Ohio but so rather than just rather than just being able to extend treatment we started to look at what is the actual intervention used within that so historically We're going to sit around in a group room and I'm going to provide you education about why it would be beneficial for you to engage in physical activity. Mm. I'm going to tell you about some of the health benefits. I'm going to tell you about the ability to manage things like post-acute withdrawal. I'm going to tell you about the the benefits of strength training, about the the benefits of cardiovascular training, um, regular sleep schedule, nutrition-based stuff. I'm going to provide you that education. right? So what the Health and Wellness Center has done is is taken – the ability to educate people live in that space while mm. also engaging them in the physical fitness intervention. We're not in a group room talking about it anymore. We're literally going to take you to a place where it's offered for you to have that experience under the supervision of licensed professionals to provide that intervention. Mm. You know what I mean? Literally the marriage of preventative health care mm-hmm. and traditional health care. Like, together at the same time. Yeah,
0: you're completely removing the speculation. Right? Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's one of those things, too, of, as, like, for for people who are in recovery, recovering from substance use disorders, it can be terrifying. Sure. To go try something new for the first time. Mm. So, to be able to allow them that experience while you're there with them. Like, I worked out this morning at 10 a.m. with our client CrossFit class. There were a dozen people in there. hmm And there were three of us were staff members and some people were in transitional living and some folks are in our residential type programs. So it's like you have this huge cross section of people that are all affiliated with, with the counseling center, but then we're all getting to have that experience together. Right. So I think just short of, like you said, like the building muscle kind of thing, like the camaraderie that comes with that, the sense of community that comes with that, the actual experience that somebody has to tie to that. I think it's just so much more meaningful.
0: Sure. And is that the initial objection that you get most often is like, oh, this isn't for me? Or like, what do people, people?
1: The initial objection we get, I think, is centered in people in early recovery, despite a, a mountain of evidence that says that this, this is not true. They still believe that they know what's best for them. Mm. And there has to be at some level a sense of surrender to somebody else's plan for your life. You know what I mean? I have my own like story with that stuff about my plan for my life didn't work out so well. And I had to follow something else's plan for my life. Right. And part of that was a treatment facility. And part of that is affiliation with anonymous fellowships and, and like even training and stuff now is that's like part of my recovery pathways, like other people help me do that stuff. Mm. So at first there's number one, it's terrifying because they see what people look like while they're working out. Yeah. everybody's (laughs) everybody's <laughs> red-faced, everybody's sweating, everybody's out of breath, hands on your knees, like, looks like death. Yeah. But then the other part of that is, like, the high-fives at the end, the, like, come on, we got it, like, three more minutes, that whole where you find those little, like, bits of energy you've got left. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the first thing. People don't want to do it because it's hard, mm. and I don't think that part is so much like a like a person early recovery thing. I think that's like part of the human condition. Mm. It's like I don't want to go do this thing because it's hard. Yeah, these objections run deep. It's yes, like, yeah. yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's almost cultural, right? Sure. Like, just quit before you fail.
0: Let's get a little a little bit into your story, Max, because, um, I mean, everything that you're teaching, you have like this, this deep personal experience mm-hmm.
1: to drive it. Um, so I, part of the coming back to the counseling center in 2018. So my first interaction with the counseling center was in November of 2012. I came in as a client, mm. right? So, um, uh, I get the opportunity today to go speak to college nursing students, allied health students, um, local businesses, local uh, high school health classes, like, and I get to go do these presentations as like Max Lyles, senior director of the counseling center. That's Mm. like a um, a professional in the substance use disorder field, right? One of the things I always like sprinkle in and I have different strategies for different populations is that I'm also a person in recovery. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I get that whole like, oh, like you don't you don't look like a drug addict or like whatever. And I don't I don't really hold back anything with that. Like I'm the type of person that when I use like um, I progress to using like intravenous heroin that like, um, you know, I don't think that uh, the family I was born into, the group of friends I came up with, I don't think everybody really ever saw that in my future, right? Sure. But being a person that has that brain disorder of of like the the liability, what happens when I start to use any substances, and the way that that disease is progressive and stuff, you know, so I started off at a detox mm. and then wound up at the counseling center. So I'm uh, I'm an alumni of the Second Chance Men's Program, um, also an alumni of the Scioto County Transitional Program. So altogether, I wound up I wound up in like a supportive housing setting with treatment for about nine months. Mm. Um, and then even after that, when I left Transitional Living, I, I left and I moved back in with my mom. That was a safe place for me to go. And at that point in time, had re-enrolled into college. Mm. Um that's another funny story, man. Like I'm, I, I have the story of I'm the kid that's from here. I grew up in the big city of Sciota Maybe you've heard of it. Mm. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Menford High School graduate, right? So like I'm, I'm from here, and for a long time was cursed with that idea that if I wanted anything good for my life, I had to get away from here. Yeah. And I spent a long time trying to escape this place, like physically and otherwise. Right. Like Mm -hmm. if I couldn't physically escape it, then I found ways that I can mentally escape this place. Right. Um, And I really had like a negative view of what Scioto County was, what Portsmouth was, what my hometown was. Um, And so like when people get down on this area, I understand. Been there, done that. Right. The, The Shawnee State University thing, I can remember being like, oh, I'll never go there. Right, like I'm never going to go like flood wall tech, 13th grade, yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I went to Shawnee State eventually because it was the easy thing to do. It's local. I was living with my parents, right? Eventually, based on like the way that I use substances, I get to this point where I can't do school successfully. Mm. Well, eventually this university that I like talked all this trash about tells me like you can't pay to come back here you're suspended mm. we're not giving you any money to come back here we're not letting you sign up for classes. So then it was like that whole point of like all this like bashing I'm doing this thing I don't even want eventually is I can't even go there if I wanted to anyways right mm. So after I got done with um, after I got done with the treatment setting stuff, one of the last things I did with my clinician at the point in time is we had like reached out to Shawnee State and I like wrote like the I'm sorry. Letter, the whole you know letter. what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and then had to go talk to some folks or whatever, and like told them about my situation. Like, you know, this whole this time's gonna be different. Like, I was and was very had been very transparent about like my history. Mm. Um, and they let me back in. Um, like, thank God for that, and like second chances, and that university, yeah, and so. I remember when I was when when I finally got suspended. I'd been on and off of academic probation, and finally, I got I got the permanent suspension or the you know the indefinite suspension. The uh, I wasn't meeting the standards of academic progress, you know. Mm. I didn't know I was supposed to. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, so I I I'd accumulated a, almost enough credit hours over the course of like five years for like three years of credit, right? And I remember getting that. Suspension letter and my mom being like so disappointed, man. Um, And I remember being in her office. She worked at Shawnee State. She worked at the university. Still does. And I remember her saying like, we almost made it. Like we almost did it. (sighs) And like how crushing that was, man. So one of the proudest moments I remember, I I get back into the university. And I get my first semester over with. I carry 3.5 GPA. I make the dean's list. Mm. we're back you yeah. know what I mean? you it, yeah. we're back man um and then eventually and then eventually graduate from that university with a bachelor's degree and that's that's one of the like in that early recovery like first two year periods that's one of my proudest accomplishments still mm. you know to this day to like go back and make that right and knock that out and um it was special man that's awesome It was
0: really cool Obviously, like you have the story yourself, Shawnee State gives you this additional chance to continue your education. Like something that you were trying to differentiate or started talking on was like this fallacy that drug addictions like this this moral failing when yeah. there's a there it's like a it's a medical situation yes. to handle. Yeah. Yes. So describe that. Like, what do you think are the big misconceptions about addiction?
1: After the Shawnee State thing, I, I had the opportunity then to go to a high university and do a master's program, and I, and I finished that. And um, they shouldn't have let me in either, but did, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I, I wind up completing that, and I, I have a lot of people now that are in the field, and they ask, like, did you go, like, the master's degree? They want, they want to ask about college. People want to do that, yeah. and, but they're like, should I? Is it for me? Should I look for something else to do within this kind of helping field or whatever? And so they'll ask, did you like learn anything or did you just get a degree? Like what's the, what's the squeeze, right? Like, yeah. So there are lessons that I learned within that degree program that are like the foundations of what I get to do, the decisions I get to make within my job today. Right. And Mm. one of those is that, um, problem definition defines the intervention. Mm. So in that, the way that I define whatever it is that we've got going on, right, will then set course for what I'm going to do to get out of it. Sure. So you talk about the moral failing thing, right? So if um, if if drug addiction, substance use disorders is a moral failing, I'm going to need um, to blame parents. I'm going to need to blame like generational poverty. I'm going to need to blame cultural norms. I'm going to need to blame... The systems of our surrounding area and how we, how we, you know, we, we never got any, any cooth or any, any good things passed out to us. And that's why we are the way we are. Right. Mm. If I look at it as a criminal issue, then I'm going to need to incarcerate my way out of the situation. And largely the United States has tried that, right? We incarcerate more people per capita and more people total than anybody else in the world. Sure. Right. Which is terrifying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, If I look at it as a spiritual failing, I'm going to pray it out. I'm going to get people in church and religion, and I'm going to, you know what I mean? We're going to have exorcisms or whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. Those things, while parts of those can be useful in addressing the issue, parts of them used in conjunction with what I believe is the actual problem is that it's a medical issue. It's a brain disorder, mm. right? Um, it's classified as a brain disorder within the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. There's criteria of what you have to have to meet that. There's. It's not just that a per- person uses a certain drug or that a person uses a certain drug a certain way. There's very clear outline set of guidelines that go along with what that looks like. And then also what we've known in the field for a long time is the way that introducing those chemicals into your body affects the way your brain makes decisions, mm. right? So if it's a health care issue, well, then I need a primary care person. I probably need behavioral counseling. I might need medication, Right, I'm going to need other preventative health care like physical fitness, like a dentist like case management to get me to my appointments, things like that Right, mm-hmm. substance use disorders are a health care issue and need health care interventions to fix them now, some people follow a faith based pastor recovery and church is a huge part of what they do and that's great that is a great accent to the healthcare model. Sure. Some people follow the physical intervention that they want to genuinely live a healthy lifestyle and everything. So they monitor their movement. They track their sleep. They watch what they eat, how much water they drink. And that's great. That is mm. a great model for, pre- for preventative healthcare on top of the traditional model, right? Sure. Incarceration in the court system is a wonderful motivation for people to get involved in traditional healthcare to address an underlying substance use disorder. Mm. Any of those interventions by themselves, I think, are kind of shaky. Yeah. Right. We need we need true traditional medical care, accompanied with traditional behavioral health care, accompanied with other alternative things to go along with those. Right. Mm. Yeah. It's that whole you know that uh, well why can't they just stop kind of deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. the 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 way that the brain's been hijacked by the like the reward system's been hijacked the part of the brain that's telling a person to use again is the same part of the brain that like controls breathing without you having to think about it, which controls your food response, which controls your thirst response, which could, you know what I mean? Which controls your sex drive. So like all these things that are based on survival of like basic human life is also where your drive to use is in all that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's like, well, why can't they just quit? Well, like why can't you just not eat food? Mm.
0: And I think that's, That's so key, Max. Because a lot of what you guys are doing at the counseling center is like completely redefining the definition of treatment. Exactly like you're saying,
1: sure. And And it's looking at those different metrics of healthcare. Yeah. So like, obviously, you have like your vital signs, you know, blood pressure, heart rate, all those all those sorts of things. Different measures you can get from traditional healthcare. But for a long time, the counseling center has known that safe supportive housing like safe, sober housing with people in it that are have your best interest in mind is a metric of health care. Mm. You know what I mean? That having a job that is meaningful or a skill that you can monetize to like sustain your life after treatment yeah. is a metric of health care. That regular physical activity is a metric of health care. That a strong social circle is a metric of health care. And that's new, yeah. right? That's new. Um, primary health care does a great job does a great job with those, like, keeping people alive kind of things, right? Those kind of other metrics of healthcare, I think, is what you're really looking at when you actually want to reintegrate somebody into a community where they maybe have been marginalized. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So.
0: Both of us have fitness as a a large part of our community Mm -hmm. and uh, outlet. And so, I mean, we see people like Andrew come into treatment recently and like yeah. uh, Andrew Wright and completely uh, turn his life around find purpose uh, community and um, just be an amazing person striving for excellence I mean mm. what are some of the exciting things you're seeing at the Hawk?
1: Um, and there's anecdotal evidence like that all around man yeah. like I could name a dozen people that have that have followed a similar pathway to that mm. um, both male and female yeah. you know what I mean? But it's that It's that amazingness of seeing a person start to look forward to their active participation in their own life. Sure. Right? To see them make social connections, to see them set goals and reach them, to see them get engaged in employment that is meaningful, to see them stick around and be the picture of hope for other folks that are coming from behind them. Of course. You know what I mean? Um, It's it's something that like you almost can't describe the amount of like satisfaction and gratitude that you get when you get to see those things happen live. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we get people in, in their, they're in their worst spot in life when they come to us, Mm. you know, the worst they've ever been. And then we get to see that transformation from that brokenness, hopelessness, right? that restoration back to first humanity, right? That they're actually a person and deserve to be treated as such. Sure. Um, but then to watch them not only get that part restored, but then to see them flourish within our local community. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's that whole, uh, it's that whole misconception that treatment is somehow like bad for the community that, um, that, that uh, that an inclusive effort to, um, in some way, encompass the recovery community here um, is is in somehow a neg is a negative. Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, some of the some of the most accomplished, driven, selfless people I know are people who are who would identify as being in recovery, mm. right? Um, and so like. Mar- continuing to marginalize that population sure. past that initial recovery is only a disservice to the greater community. Yeah, you know, yeah. historically in our area, I think that recoveries existed in a bubble. Mm. Um, it's that whole like, um, you know, if you're the black sheep of the family, when you kind of enter that recovery community, you find out where all the other black sheep are. Yeah, right. And we and we kind of make those changes together, and we hang out together, and we don't really. We don't really get around with the, with the normies much, you know, the earthlings sometimes <laughs> we call them, right? And that's, and I think that that's short-sighted by both, by both sides, sure. you know what I mean? Um, I think that one of the things that we've done with the initiatives of, like, the Health and Wellness Center, of the TCC Works Program, of our volunteer efforts with, like, Friends of Portsmouth, Friends of Greenlawn, community cleanup kind of stuff, like, going out and, and spending time with, with community members who aren't in recovery is we're starting to challenge some of that. Yeah, and it it really puts those puts those people face to face, right? Sure, like it sure. puts it in your face. And I think as a as a as a professional social worker, that's that's one of my jobs. Yeah, is to get two people in the room to talk that would otherwise never, have met. Yeah, of you course. know
0: what I mean. And where do you see the light bulb start to come on? Like when you're you're really on the front lines of that process, like unmarginalizing or, or kind of destroying some of the the fallacies that come with. Uh, addiction treatment so Mm -hmm. when you're speaking in a business or or a school or a a community of people that maybe aren't faced with that every day Mm -hmm. um where's the education start to click
1: um and like i kind of talked about before so with with different populations i'll do i'll do things different so like when i go talk to the students at shawnee state university i do the entire spiel about like Um, The counseling center Substance use disorders um, How people get to treatment um, The the limbic system The frontal cortex That kind of like educational stuff Yeah, Yeah I do And them like What treatment looks like I do that whole spiel As like the professional You know what I mean Sure and then at the end, and I'm like, by the way, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is that I'm a person in long-term recovery. And then try to hit them with something like, and what that means for me is I haven't smoked any cracks since November 6, 2012, or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. you kind of get that shock. and But but just like that strategy works a lot to like to, to get in front of a group of people and like speak well and sound like a professional and kind of challenge what they what they expect at the end with sure. what what a person who is who's an IV heroin user would would look like or sound like, uh-huh. and so a lot of times you get those light bulbs in like oh my god like this so like this stuff works kind of deal yeah. you know what I mean yeah and then other times like with with um like like high school kids or with like um like employers like local people I like to let them know that I'm from here first uh-huh. like I'm from here and I'm also a professional and then I'm also but I I think that that. When they hear it from the horse's mouth, mm. number one, sometimes I think that there's preconceived notions about about the people in recovery thing. Oh, so I'll keep that a secret. Yeah, and then at the end, tell you mm. after I've after I've kind of hit you with the sparkle first. Sure. You know what I mean? Well, there
0: is pre preconceived notions. I mean, oh my I mean, God! It is yeah. like the, these communities have lived separate for a yes. long time and made uh, made a point to do so.
1: Yeah, on purpose. Yeah. Um, Drug addicts were marginalized by the community. A lot of drug addicts get clean and stay clean long term, and never want to reenter the community because they've been marginalized. Yeah, and certain members of the community like it that way. Sure, it, it's just kind of been like a mutual understanding, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I, I think we've kind of gotten as far as we can under that model. Sure. And have you have you seen these conversations started to change,
0: or you have you had more conversations with people about this issue since like some of the bigger headlines have started to hit, whether it be uh, the Boston Globe or Fox News or
1: CNN Today Show? I think really the most meaningful thing is when we actually get people into our buildings and just to spend time with our clients. Mm. I don't think that the national headlines are cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Sure. That's all, that's all good and well. And it's amazing to get that kind of coverage for our area. Positive yeah. coverage. Somebody actually saying something, something good. Sure. About, about Portsmouth, Ohio, about Scioto County, about the, you know, the, the, the epicenter of the opioid epidemic. Right. Like we're not just that there's other good stuff that's going on and that's good. Love it. Mm-hmm. The rising tides lift all boats. Right. Yeah. That's sure. beautiful. But the most meaningful thing is the grind, that day-to-day work to engage community members, to bring them around in and to share space with our clients and our staff, to do things together. Um, You know, I think one of the most, with the Transitional Living Program, one of the most meaningful things we do is we have a partnership with the Associate and Bachelor's Nursing Program at Shawnee State University, Mm. and they do part of their practicum hours with us. Oh, wow. So it's like um, they, they split the time between us and a nursing home. But it's kind of to look at those interventions of healthcare kind of outside of the hospital, um, largely associated, I think, with their like mental health course stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that is some of the most meaningful work I think we do in that getting students who are going to be professionals in the healthcare field in with the substance use disorder population. Yeah, and just having them spend time together. There's, they do group projects together. They do, um, they'll they'll like teach groups together after they've like researched certain topics. A lot of it's like get to know you stuff, just socialization of those two populations together. Hmm. Sometimes we play, sometimes we play like games, board games, the the little heads up game. That's yeah, always yeah. a hitter, man. <laughs> like, um, but to get those two populations communicating, I think. Um, having the gym, having friends of Portsmouth, having the university, having other local employers, um, ha- being able to go out and provide education to Graff and their staff and all that kind of stuff is just—that's the most meaningful. Yeah. As yeah. far as like boots on the ground, what actually moves that dial forward? Mm. The the national news coverage is just like the pat on the back. Step you one. Know what I mean? yeah, yeah. It feels good. Yeah. It feels yeah. good, but it doesn't. I don't personally think it means a lot as far as locally. Sure. Sure absolutely
0: um, and so
1: a part of that reintegration
0: process has been uh, TCC works like in, introducing clients yeah. back into the workforce Yeah, uh, what have your thoughts been on that as you've been seeing that develop
1: um, it's another one of those things like historically what happens is like we we get the we get the person through their kind of acute level treatment we get them physically stabilized we get them some days off the street you know 30 60 90 days And then it's that whole, like, pat on the back of, like, all right, time to go find you (laughs) a job, you know what I mean? Um, And, like, people wind up in fast food or people wind up in, like, like factories or back at another, an old job they had, an old employer they had. And it's kind of that putting them back in an environment that's not necessarily the best for them, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things we've tried to do is take a hands-on approach as to what that entry back into the workforce looks like. Largely, what it starts with is just some baseline soft skills training. Mm. Uh, Originally, before the TCC Works Initiative, we had a program called Clean Hire. Yeah. Clean Hire is a a 10-hour-a-week volunteer program where clients essentially volunteer for a job training protocol where they're working environmental services stuff, janitorial work, cleaning up our facilities, right? It's not a lot of hours a week, two hours a day, basically, but the number one things like that we're working on is like, hey, if you're gonna be late, call somebody. Yeah. If you're gonna be sick, tell us you're not gonna be here. Mm. If you have an appointment and need something rearranged, let us know. Yeah. What should you wear if you're if we're gonna be outside shoveling snow today? <laughs> right? It's those sort of soft skills because people don't have that when they come in. Sure. As people with substance use disorders, we've either screwed up every job we've ever ever had, right? Or have been enabled by people taking care of us where we didn't need to work Mm. or just totally refuse to participate in mainstream society. And we're like, I'm not going to get a job. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to monetize drugs. I'm going to sell drugs to to get what I want. I'm going to, I'm going to rob, cheat, steal, that kind of thing. Sure. So a lot of these, a lot of like that program was born out of, yeah, we could probably find a couple hours of work a day for somebody to do. And they go through that for four weeks, get their, and they get a training certificate and then also get a job reference, right? So then a person, say you come in and you have a 10-year gap in work history. Well, in four weeks, what I can get you is a, a job reference of a supervisor. Mm. And I can get a certificate put on your resume that you completed the Counseling Center's Clean Hire training program.
2: Right so it's
1: just ways to like boost resume stuff. So then the workforce development thing is just kind of a ramp up of that. Um Tim Wolf has come in and, and really helped us, like, pilot that program out. And if you know Tim, anything he likes to do is fast. Yeah. And so, like, we, we basically had taken that 40-hour training model and done some more training in, in – uh, more hours of training in less weeks. Yeah. And the front end focus on, like, safety as well as some of those other soft skills. And, and then started to work those guys in, like, small construction-type jobs where at the end of the two-week training – they have employment, right? Um, and now we're getting to the point that the program's grown so large that we can't guarantee that anymore. Yeah. So we're starting to look at what we can do as far as community partnerships to send people to part-time jobs. Mm. So the goal coming in is that after you've completed this 30, 60, 90-day residential treatment type thing, is that then when you go into a transitional living setting where you're you're living in a house with other people in recovery... Mm. But you're not, you're not out on your own yet. Half your day is still going to be treatment focused. Yeah. But then the other half of the day, we want you to start to think about what's it look like for you to leave here. What's your job situation going to be like? How are you going to save money? What decisions are you going to make in the evening when nobody's going to be watching you? What are you going to do on your pass on the weekends? So it's that starting to like um, in, reintroduce that freedom back in in a way that's like slow and sustainable that people don't get overwhelmed. Mm. Um, but honestly, just working super close to develop soft skills yeah. and some some other some other vocational skills that are more meaningful. The Hughes Reentry Center, we've got an electrical program, a plumbing program that are twelve weeks long. Sure. So people are getting more intensive training in other parts, but. Try, it, it goes back to that health and wellness center thing about about introducing people to the new thing while you're with them. Oh, man. Yeah. And not just saying like, hey, yeah, you should go try that. And there's a lot of nuances
0: to this. It's not just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially soft skills. This isn't, every job not like a put the square block in the square hole kind of approach. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. Uh, I mean, it, it really takes more of like this, this full lifestyle approach yeah. for people to be successful. Yeah. So I think that's what y'all are doing. Yeah. I mean, you even hear it with, uh, like, when Bashan was on the uh, last episode of the podcast, he's talking about with, with his craft how, um, you know, like, physical fitness became such a part of his mindset. It yes. became, uh, it built that momentum to mm-hmm. achieve success and, and push to excellence. And uh, so I think it's, it's really cool to see you guys taking. This same approach. It's not uh, mm-hmm. It's not just like a cookie-cutter program in right. any way. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And that was one of the reasons why we picked CrossFit as the intervention, because the way that's kind of infinitely scalable. Yeah. Because we have folks who haven't been involved in any sort of physical movement for 10 years. But that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be good for them to do something. Well, sure. Right? Yeah. Um, this week, we actually started a beginner's CrossFit class for staff. Yeah We started a huge Staff health initiative Right And well one of the things We are getting is like I would love to do it But I'm intimidated I don't know what Any of the equipment is Any of the movements are And I haven't worked out In ten years Yeah And so we, we're trying to Remove the barriers Remove the excuses And give everyone The fair opportunity To get involved Right That's cool um, That's another thing I related to Out of Bastion's episode Was that like That tying that Physical fitness thing To um, To other stuff In my life Right I don't want to do heavy squats every week. I don't want to. <laughs> sure. You can't tell because I'm in your I'm in your Facebook feed every yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. You pers- can't tell, but I'm not always excited to do that. But since I've done that at least once a week, mm. like I, my life has gotten better. Sure. You know what I mean? As a result of that, and there's something to be said about the um, there's something to be said about the routine behind it. There's something to be said about doing it when I don't want to do it. Yeah. And then there's something to be said, too, about the about the community that I have. You know, I've got, like, uh, three or four very close friends that, that a lot of what we do revolves around, what are you training today? Yeah. Where are you training today? Sure. Can you come down and lift? Like, that sort of stuff, man. So, like, having a personal sense of community. You know what I
0: mean? Absolutely. And, yeah, I, I, for myself as well, like, this – This kind of mindset change takes um, repetition. Whatever that that mindset you're trying to achieve is, uh, like physical fitness can really start to kickstart that. What are you excited about that's happening in Portsmouth right now, Max?
1: Dude, like um, Winterfest was amazing. Like all that stuff I remember. So we we had the opportunity to rent the ice rink a couple nights. Like one, we was, ironically, I didn't plan it this way, but was after our staff, Christmas party,
0: oh, well, and so a, we've
1: like got staff and families and kids down here like ice skating, and you know like it looks like a Hallmark movie down yeah. here. My uh, my sponsorship family um, within the Anonymous Fellowship communities goes from goes from uh, Cincinnati to Huntington basically. There's so we've got people from all over coming down, and, and we all were ice skating out here one night, man. And I just remember looking around that night like the lights and the ice rink and all that stuff and mean, like, man, like I'm not, this is not where I'm from, you yeah. know what I mean? And so that stuff's exciting. But then also too, just like all the, all the positivity that's coming out, you know, like sure. I was talking about those like national news headlines. Mm. Um, I think what's most meaningful is the day-to-day work. But just to finally get people to be sharing some positivity about our area feels good. This this more
0: balanced picture of what's going on here. There's there's like a turning point here, right? Yes. I I get a lot of pleasure thinking about like, uh, like even I was listening to, to Joe Rogan like a couple months ago and one of the guests that he had on, uh, his show was talking about Sam Cornonis and his yeah in, in Dreamland, and so yeah. like yes. it, it's N-E-Q, so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through through Sam's work with Dreamland and mm-hmm. like all the different articles that that point to Portsmouth as the yeah. epicenter of the yeah. of the country. Like all these people are finding Portsmouth through like these crazy headlines. And yeah. At, at this point, uh, there's there's becoming a lot of reasons that people know about this place. Right? Sure.
1: Sure, and uh, the one thing I will say about Sam, you know what I mean, is he's been back here multiple times. Yeah, he came to, he came in one day and uh, was was torn, and came and saw the health and wellness center, and um, one of the staff that he had made contact with, Marianne Henson, who used to run the clubhouse when we had that facility on Eleventh Street, um, like came in and was like, I heard Marianne works here, I want to touch base with her, like you know what I mean, like he remembers. The people that he met and, mm. and still comes back and visits, and I think that's meaningful, you know. Oh, mean? it is.
0: It is. He, he's legitimately invested in a good way. He, yeah, you know?
1: yeah. I think people can say what they want about the about the book and the and the way maybe people have exploited Portsmouth to like you know get clicks or sell things or whatever. But you know, the one thing I will say about Sam is he's he's come back and he's seen us and he's visited and he remembers us and sure. I, I think that's important. Well, and it's a, it's an
0: important to know like where we've been and how exactly that we got to this place. I mean, I've read the book a few times, I was com- completely fascinated uh, yes. by the body of work that he put together. Yeah. And even like, uh, that, I think one of the facts that he was throwing out was there was no like, uh, measurement based pain management scale for yeah. like doctors prescribing things in the area until sure. like 2008 yeah. or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, it's, it, it was just accelerating the problem to an extreme degree without people really being able to get a, a handle on what was happening. Yeah. What was happening.
1: Yeah, man. And then you think, you know, like uh, in, in 2009, there's 11 pain clinics in operation in, in the side of the County area. There's uh 10 million Oxycontin tablets get dispensed in the year 2009. It's, you know, however many thousands per mm-hmm. man, woman and child kind of deal. And that was kind of when things, when things hit, the unintentional part of that was, the pain clinics go away, but the demand's still there. So then heroin yeah. comes in, um, and then now kind of the the third wave um, of the opioid epidemic, the synthetic opiates. So fentanyl, carfentanil. That's that's really the thing we are looking at that's spiking overdose deaths. Sure, right. Um, that's that's a super super dangerous substance on the streets, man. So we're seeing a large influx of that. Mm. Uh, when we get a, we get a lot of the numbers, you know, straight from the straight from the people who are coming in seeking treatment as we operate, you know, the Withdrawal Management Facility in Franklin yeah. Furnace, so.
0: Max, like, what are the, some of the stats that you're seeing uh, involving, like, Purdue Pharma or the uh, distribution of Oxycotton, like, how Portsmouth got to the place that it was?
1: Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Obviously, the, the targeted marketing and dispensing of Oxycontin in this area played a role, right? Yeah. But then there's these other things that have come behind it. Mm-hmm. the the heroin the fentanyl carfentanil these sorts of things so it's really it's really one of those like we can all start to speculate as far as like how do we get here kind of thing. yeah sure how do we wind up here I'm more of the school thought of like at this point what's it matter sure we're just yeah, here yeah we're mm-hmm. just here and I think rather it really it goes back to you know um, I think that that the the, the the justice system is trying to do some kind of service by the way that it's like holding accountable uh, the big pharma and those sorts of things. And, and for, you know, it's, it's probably not enough. Um, but I think really to, rather than to count on somebody else to kind of make that stuff right for us, I think what we've kind of finally gotten into is like, nobody's going to come in and wave some sort of magic wand that's going to make us feel better about what happened or that's going to make us um, somehow more motivated to correct the problem. Mm. It's an internal thing. And it goes back to that on a personal level. It's about... Taking the run when I don't want to about yeah. about following lifting that's outlined for me right because I know that I've got a competition and if I want to do any good I'm going to have to engage in the daily practice like the small things right.
0: That's a powerful powerful thing to come to terms with Max that yeah you kind of like get out of this mindset of of someone needs to pay for this and yes like, what can I do to fix it on a yes. on a one to one
1: basis um and it 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 goes all the way back man like I said like I believe that that my generation and the generation before me were sold the dream that this place has had its day and it's gone. Mm. And if you want to do anything good, it's not going to happen here. Sure. Right? Um, You know, I don't know what year the steel mill left, but I know I've heard about it my whole life. Yeah. Right? And and I don't know how many different companies have passed on Portsmouth and they're not going to put their big factory here (laughs) or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't particularly believe that that matters. You know what I mean? And and Um, I
0: I love, uh, like, when Bill Deaver was talking on the subject on on his episode, I loved him talking about, like, you know, everyone's speculating this big factory that's going to come in and save everyone. One, it doesn't happen. And two, like, who's going to go work there? Yeah, because workforce is not here. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's almost like uh, it's kind of easier to, to speculate or blame than it is to actually, like, get your hands dirty and... Fix the problem, and as a, yeah.
1: as a person in recovery, it's one of the like it's it is. It's much easier to blame other people for my situation. Yeah, it's much easier to blame where I'm from. It's much easier to blame a set of consequences or circumstances, or that somebody's out to get me, or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, it it's not fair, right? Like life's not fair. Um, uh, income's not fair. It's just not the system we're playing in, right? Yeah. So it's just a matter of like, well, what do I do just to give myself the best opportunity to win where I'm at? Sure. My my story's the only one I've got. My situation's the only one I'm in. You know. And I and I think what's so cool is, um, personally, I feel like
0: what helps people overcome that the most is is like something like physical activity. You yes. know what I mean? It's yeah. something lifting, squatting, like you. Blame is is so irrelevant at sure. that point. You know what I mean? And that's
1: a beautiful part, man. Whether whether I was talking about the class this morning, whether it's the the coordinator of the health and wellness center now, whether it's myself, who's a senior director, a counselor, a transitional client, or somebody that's been clean less than thirty days, mm-hmm. in the middle of a CrossFit wad, it don't matter. No, the ultimate equalizer at that point, everyone is ironically human. Yeah, you know what I mean. We've got people that are doing clean hire training working out with the CEO at 430. Mm. And that and at in the middle of the workout you can't tell who's who because we're all human. Sure. You know what I mean? And it's it's the it's the easiest way I've found to introduce that artificial panic right <laughs> Yeah. into my brain and to shut that down and to take control of it and and then remind myself that like this is not this is not permanent, right? This is not that serious. This is just that whole survival connection and I can override it. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm in control and it's a good place to practice that. Yeah. Putting yourself back in control of your situation in conditions that are that are tough. Sure. You know? Where do
0: you see the hawk going moving forward, Max? I mean
1: Um it's grown so much, man. Like, I look back at those old pictures of the empty gym and the mats yes. laying in it with, like, nothing and nobody. I've got some early pictures of, like, Dale and Mo teaching classes with, like, four people in them. And, like, back then, that was a big class. It's sure. like, oh, we got four people in today. You know what I mean? Um, so, I don't know, man. I hope I, I'm i so happy right now and so full of gratitude with the... With the Involvement that we've got from staff. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really the turning point. If we get the staff to buy in, our clients want to be like our staff members. The Counseling Center employs 375 people. Probably half of them or better are people who are in recovery. Yeah, Our clients want to be those folks Mm. they want to have that success story and they want to give back to an agency that helped them get on their feet right yeah so i think that that leveraging the staff involvement to get folks involved i hope we get more classes and bigger class attendance and and start to do more it started with crossfit we've added in yoga Renee comes in and teaches probably a dozen yoga classes at various sites at this point. Mm. Um, Shelly Wisner comes down and does a class called Hip Hop Heat. The best way she described it to me was it's like Zumba with less Latin music. (laughs) So it's kind of like the Super Bowl halftime show, but not really. Um, That was a relevant plug right there. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, That's awesome, man. So, uh, But then, too, we just just started doing a powerlifting class three times a week in a couple different time slots to try to like – A lot of people think about powerlifting and they think about one rep max. Yeah. But trying to teach people that like that long term, you know, there's there's people that have trained this way and it's they're not taking heavy singles every time they train and trying to teach people some of the nuance and the mindset to that. And that's that's your I mean the discipline you've
0: sort of focused on. Yeah, man. Yeah, what's appealing to it for you?
1: Man, I I guess like growing up and playing football, I was never I was never the fast kid, but I was a strong kid. Yeah. And so it was something that I naturally gravitated to. I think we gravitate to things we're kinda of naturally good at a little bit. Yeah. And then also too, like I, I found the value in, in doing things that I suck at as well. Yeah. I'm not a crossfitter. However, I'll I do crossfit a few times a week because I know that it's overall good for my health, right? Yeah. And I know the benefits of doing something that I suck at. Mm. Um, but I think just naturally being good at something kind of pushes us towards that. Yeah. Um, and so like powerlifting was something I guess I was loosely involved with like training for football like yeah. all the way back to like early high school days. And um when I when I first got clean um I I went to Transitional Living. I got a gym membership in New Boston at Preferred Fitness. Little name drop, right? (laughs) My boy, uh, my boy, Doran Martin was a coach down there at that point in time. um, Worked or whatever. And so my cousin would pick me up, would pick me up from 4th Street at the Transitional Living House. And we would go work out together in the evenings. And I was like part of my early program of recovery, right? I would go to like noon AA and NA meetings Uh and check that box that way I could go lift at night. Um, and so, like, I'm going down there. I'm lifting. And um, so, Doran is like, hey, let's do this powerlifting meet. He's like, we we squat, bench, deadlift anyways. We might as well do it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, we don't know. We know very little. Doran has, a, Doran has an exercise science bachelor's background, right? Like, he knows some at this point in time. <laughs> but in the last seven years has added in a lot more to that of what he knows, right? So, yeah. we're like we're listening to the super training podcast with like Mark Bell and like following people on Instagram. Like, Oh, we're going to do this thing. Right. So, um, I did, I did that first meet and just like caught the bug dude was have have looked forward to doing it ever since I've probably done eight or nine at this point.
0: That's awesome. And you, you said, yeah, NA continues, uh, I'm sure to be a part of your community. Yeah. Like, um, What's the value of like those meetings for people that you know have never been a part of one?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just the sense of community that it that it comes along with for yeah, folks, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I, and whether that be whether that be an anonymous community, whether that be church, whether that be the gym. I think people mm-hmm. have to find their tribe, right? Yeah. I've been lucky that I've been able to experience the value of multiple tribes sure. that do the various things that I do, right? And yeah. I, I, mean, I think that's the biggest thing, you know. Yeah. Um, plus, one of the things we we like to teach folks is that there's a there's a value, um, there's a value of doing things that work for other people before you that were in a similar stance, right? Mm. And that's something professionally, you know what I mean. Um, the, the route that I've taken with like school and education and, and degree choice and things like that. That holds true there. That holds true with the recovery path. That holds true with um that holds true with like strength training, right? Like if if I want what somebody else has got, I'm gonna have to do something like what they did.
0: Absolutely. And
1: I think that's a value that crosses all kinds of different
0: Absolutely. you, and you were saying it I don't know if it was a post or Where you had mentioned like the plan for my life didn't really like the plan I had for my life didn't really work out Mm -hmm. right. So you you started changing that by modeling after someone else. You know what I mean? It's a major value of community, really.
1: It's the first thing you know. Like you, I come into treatment. I have to sacrifice my like right to use drugs and alcohol, right? Yeah. Obviously, that's not working out. You know what I mean? Then there's. And, and it goes back to that, like, medical model, right? It's outlined within the diagnostic criteria of what it means to be a person with a substance use disorder. Um, unsuccessful attempts to cut back or quit, hmm. right? I tried to quit. I just couldn't do it. I wasn't successful, right? Um, uh, increased tolerance, right? What three used to do for me, I needed six now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Withdrawal symptoms. When I, didn't phys- when I didn't have something, I physically got sick, right? And so, like, you start to look at some of that evidence... And, like, even in the fog of early recovery, like, it's like, damn, you know, that that stuff makes sense. Like, I have all these things. And so then it kind of, I think, opened me up to, like, maybe I don't know what's best for me, right? Yeah, like, yeah. maybe I don't know what I need to do. And I'm lucky that there was, there's an agency at that point in time, the Counseling Center, that was like, you got a safe place here to, like, kind of figure it out. And we know some things yeah, that we're going to, like, teach you and, and do with you and and those sorts of You know that experience-based stuff.
0: Yeah, like Billy had said. I mean, community is a part of healthcare, right? Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, and that they're able to like provide that for you before you even realize that that's what you need. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, For people that are, and I'm I'm sure you're still touching a lot of lives, Max, that are like freshly coming into treatment. So, what are some of those like first day conversations like?
1: A lot of it at first is is just that whole like where's the bathroom at? You know what I mean? <laughs> who's yeah. my who's my counselor? How long am I gonna be in this building? Those sorts of questions, right? The the fun questions are once people have kind of wrapped their head around the daily routine part, uh, uh-huh. right? And then we're able to have some of those conversations of like where are you from, what's your family like? Um what did your life look like before? you got strung out Mm. like what what was going on with you previously what parts of that would you like to bring back with you what parts of that do you want to leave behind yeah those are cool conversations um and then uh and then another cool part is is getting to work with the transitional living population is that there it's that what's next yeah right because we get folks that they, they they get job training. They get their part time job. Maybe they get a full time job. Mm. Um, maybe they're you know they're starting to save money and those sorts of things. And it's that whole uh, it's that whole like revitalization of their belief that they have some say so in their yeah, life yeah. And of like,
0: what can be next? You're, you're taking personal responsibility for not only them getting clean, but like what, uh, like, what are they going to do from here? You sure. Know I mean? how, how are they going to the, thrive?
1: The, the main thing we want to look at is what kind of opportunities are we providing for people? Yes. Right. So it's not so much of like, well, we're going to get you clean and that'll give you a better shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. It actually doesn't really solve anything long term just to get a person to clean. Correct. It, right? But if I get a person some job training and a safe place to live and a driver's license and a GD or an adult diploma or get them enrolled in a technical trade skill. And I get them reconnected back with their family and I get them seeing a general practitioner for their regular healthcare. And I get them taking their mental health medicines and I get them engaged in like medically assisted treatment where they're maybe taking Vivitrol for like kind of that long-term deterrence for use kind of things. It's like when you can wrap all that stuff around, you give a person an honest shot to like be a, a, a productive, responsible member of society that's going to contribute, right? Yeah. It's um, I think when people think about you know the the Medicaid expansion and 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 universal health care and all these sorts of things, right? That's a that's a very democratic, like left kind of uh, ideology, I think. Right? Really, the the goal we're looking to do is set people up to where they're going to alleviate themselves from those systems, yeah, right. Um, I, and I think that like, that's something that everybody can agree on, or at least I hope can agree on is that you, people are going to get this help initially to give them the opportunity to be self-supporting. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's, that's huge for, I think people in recovery, number one, because the meaning that it gives them in their life, the responsibility and the way it's that whole paradox of like, if I tell you, you're going to take on more responsibility what that sounds like is your cage to that responsibility. Yeah. But really, like the inverse happens. Like, the more I'm actually responsible for, the more freedom I actually have for say so of what I want to do. Sure. Right? So, it's that whole like introducing those responsibilities in slow to a point that a person then gets some freedom to, to go forth on their own and kind of have their life look like what it wants to. Absolutely. It's just a temporary surrender. Right? I don't want to control somebody's life forever. My joke with everybody is I'm going to put you on Max Lyle's one year plan for your life. <laughs> and I tell them after one year, you can make whatever dumbass decision you want. That's but for awesome. one year, let us drive the bus. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. Um, and that just speaks to, you know, I, I did the nine months in treatment myself. And I think like between that six months and a year mark is is imperative that somebody's engaged in something mm. with some guardrails, you know?
0: Max, for anybody listening uh, that maybe hasn't taken that first step to treatment that's struggling sure. and, and doesn't want to share that with other people, I mean, what's your advice
1: to them? There are more resources available today for people that are actively seeking recovery than ever before. Um, stigma is still very real and exists and, um, and it's something I think that people have to navigate but as far as the ability to access, there is so much more benefit to that than whatever sort of hurtful thing somebody with a prejudice about people in recovery might have. You know what I mean? Um, we are talking a lot about the synthetic opiates, right? one of my best friend in high school was the person that talked me into going to detox like, you know, years afterwards. And I remember sitting at my mom and dad's house and him saying like, what are you going to do? Like, you're just going to die on me. You know what I mean? And at that point in time, it was like, I didn't necessarily like have a will to like continue to do what I wanted to do, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have like a, I didn't want to die, but I didn't necessarily have a will to live either. Right. Yeah. I remember kind of wrestling with that. And, and, um, it's one of those things like in 2012, That was something that, like, spoke to me in a way that was like, okay, what am I going to do kind of deal? Quite literally today, people actively using opioids off the street, very high likelihood of overdose death. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like, not something we can say, like, rattle somebody's cage anymore. It's just the facts.
0: Sure. Right? Um, And we see, like, I mean, these really well-known
1: people that,
0: yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. Mac Miller. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? Mac Miller, Juice World. I mean, like Prince. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm.
1: It, it doesn't discriminate, man. No. And I think that that's the thing is like, I know what it's like to be using against your own will. Yeah. I know what it's like to want to quit and not be able to. I also know what it's like to finally reach out and say like, hey, I need help. Like, I can't do this on my own, right? And, and the resources are there, right? Um, I mean, just the counseling center in and of itself to be able to take people from withdrawal management, where literally literally, our only goal is to physically stabilize you, all the way down to like one-on-one counseling services that can be as long-term as somebody might need them and everything in between. Sure. And then just the, the, various, other, the various other opportunities that people have, whether it be through um, employer engagement, whether it be through the ability to like walk in and get treatment same day. I mean that's so progressive from where we used to be yeah um it's it's one of those things of like the only thing that will keep people out is that like fear of the unknown right and yeah. it's like I can and professionally and personally like attest to the success stories we see and nobody's ever nobody's ever done this and been like ah oh, you know I'm really really didn't the thing is if you try it and you don't like it you don't have to stay you know what yeah, I mean I just yeah. encourage people to give it its opportunity sure you know
0: um, and then obviously we, we were talking about uh, Jake just a minute ago but yeah I, I think Jake Bradshaw has been like a huge part of the boat ed- Bradshaw ed- Isles 2020 <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're you're uh, is it who's running president who's running he Jake is obviously the president okay right? okay yeah, yeah. But you're a strong wingman at the oh absolutely like, Yes. L- literally uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> But uh, he's been like one of the biggest educators in our area, and just sure. nationally about I think Narcan specifically stands out. Yes, um, yes. What's like? Can you give us some insight on that? I know that's probably a conversation y'all have a lot.
1: Well, like uh, Jake's ability to to leverage um, social media and to leverage people and and is remarkable. Yeah. You know, what I mean, he is better at that than anybody else I know, mm. and honestly, just shares that message of. Please, if you're using, be safe. Yeah. you know, people care about you. We want you to get clean. If you're not ready to do it right now, like please try to use in a, in a way that, that is going to keep you alive. I tell people this all the time, I can't treat a dead drug addict. Yeah. There's nothing I can do for him, right. And I think Jake's message of the message of long- term abstinence-based recovery all the way down into like kind of those controversial um, uh, prevention uh, risk management kind of things. And everything in between is he's somebody who can very clearly and concisely put that message out in a way that I think people can digest it, mm. right? Um, and and he's doing great stuff, man. He's doing great stuff. They the the humans of addiction thing, the the way that they work with Addicts Diary on social media. Yeah, he's recently got a got a gig in Columbus that's actually like based within the treatment field. Um, so. He's a he's a local legend for sure, man, no doubt, man, for no sure, doubt. yeah. But I mean,
0: like November's coming in hot. You guys better get your yeah, no doubt, already. right? Yeah, um, I've seen like six T shirts. We right? yeah,
1: yeah. I I uh, my kids wear them to school, yeah, yeah. which I find to be pleasurable. You know, I think that's funny. Um, but yeah, I uh, I'm I'm hoping maybe uh, we can Jake and I can find some time to to maybe get a little uh, social media. Social media presence rolling with that, right? Absolutely. Goes a right in for president or whatever. sure.
0: Max, thanks so much for joining us, man. I mean, like, with everything you guys are doing, everything you've been a part of, do you have any idea that it was going to become this? I mean.
1: I When I think about my life, even growing up, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm kind of one of these people that, like, I guess I had, you know, your normal dreams of I want to, you know, I want to be an NFL football player. I want to be an astronaut kind of stuff, right? But I had no real, like, tangible goals for my life um, growing up, I don't think. And then I think losing kind of even myself further through years where I was, like, actively using heavily. Um, if you would have told me, like, by 2020, you're going to have a uh, – two college degrees and be a homeowner and a wife and three kids and like all the, and like work as a senior director at, you know, one of the largest substance disorder treatment agencies and, and, and you're gonna, you're gonna be like actively engaged in like powerlifting and like CrossFit's going to be something you do while you're at work and you're going to be on a podcast (laughs) at at the Glockner studios. I'd have been like, what the hell? You know what I mean? I don't even know if I would have wanted it. Yeah. You know, um, so it's 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 surreal, a lot of the stuff that's happened, right? Mm-hmm. So when I, I went back to Shawnee State, I got that first semester over with. I come back, I got this 3.5. Like that's not, you know, I'm on the dean's list. That's not academic probation. You know, I was stoked about that. So I remember I was going to this thing called Rejoice and Recovery that still goes on at Quarterstone United Methodist, and there was this guy there, and he used to kind of like give some tough love every now and again. Like I remember me and my friends like going while we were in transition living, and him kind of being like, "When's when one when of you guys going to stick around?" You know what I mean? And kind of being like, "Ah, dang," you know what I mean? Um. So I remember after those successes coming back and being like, "Bo, dude, I'm finished this first semester. I'm on the dean's list." Da 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 da. He was like, Max, that's amazing, man. He's like, that's great. And he said, it's amazing what a man can do if he just shows up mm. and he doesn't smoke any crack. <laughs> and that, that is a message that stuck with me, man. That resonated with me, right? Um, and that's, that's like really the message, right? Like that, that first part, like arresting the disease, getting abstinent, right? and then engaging in healthcare and the other surrounding things around that to sustain that mm. is what's kind of led me to where I'm at now yeah. you know um it's uh it's been a ride dude it's been fun where can people find you on social max at max one Mill on the gram uh, there might be an underscore in there somewhere i'm not 100% sure oh man i know uh, we'll, we'll put it
0: in the, the description below.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See below for the for the gram handle. Um, Max Lyles on Facebook. I go by my real name, whether that's approved or whatever or not. I don't know. I try to keep it PG. No blue check yet, but I'm we're gonna getting there. Yeah, we're yeah. going to try. Yeah, we're going to try. Um, uh, I'm friends with my mom on Facebook, so I try to, you know what I mean, filter myself via that. <laughs> um, but then also, MLyles at org if you want to get a hold of me. And to quote... The great philosopher Bill Deaver, don't ever call me. (laughs)
0: Local legends only.